From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, June 30th, 2022. I'm Rabbi Ari, and you are who you are, which is a good thing. And you're here, so that's an even better thing. And we're going to study some Torah. So today is a Thursday, as mentioned, and we are going to be studying the fifth reading of the Torah portion, Hamishi, which corresponds, of course, to Thursday. Torah portion this week, as I mentioned, is Korach. Korach has a lot of drama in it. Talks about the attempted coup, the the mutiny of Korach, gathering together a band of uh, rabble rousers who are who created some conflict, created some drama to try to overthrow the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses tries to appeal to them to try to have them back down from their attempted coup. It's, it's not successful. They're still fighting. So ultimately, the earth opens up, swallows Korach, Dasan, and Aviram. And then the 250 men who brought the incense as uh, an, an attempt to kind of grab the priesthood for themselves, they were burned by fire and they perished. Well, what happened next, I'm doing a very quick overview. What happened next is perhaps even more surprising because the very next day, the people came to, people came to Moses and Aaron and said, you killed God's people. You know, Korach who died and Datan and Abiram who died and the 250 men who died, that's your fault. You killed them. Their blood is on your hands. At that point, I mean, what do you even do? Like the, the point was proven that Moses was right and Aaron was right and they were vindicated. You would think, not so fast. Not so fast. They were accused of murder. You killed these innocent people. You killed these holy people. At that point, a plague breaks out. God says, enough is enough. A plague breaks out and starts wiping out masses of people. Moses quickly tells Aaron, Get a censer, which is like a fire pan, and put fire in it from the altar, put incense inside of it, and wave it around the community, wave it around the congregation. And indeed, as he did so, the plague stopped, the plague, the plague ceased. It says that Aaron was standing between the, the dead and the living. He literally was blocking the angel of death from taking out more people, and the plague in total took out a total of, give me one second, I'm going to read what we read, uh, I guess, yesterday. It says the plague, uh, uh, the plague took out 14,700 uh, people, Jews, aside from those that died with the immediate, um, you know, the punishment of Korach and his crew. So another, uh, another 14,700. So what's clear here is the following, and this will lead us into today's reading. What's clear here is that even though, you know, Moses' point was proven, or not his point, but Moses' leadership was, was, um, was um, reinforced, not reinforced, was, um, what's the right word? But it was validated, there you go, it was validated, and Aaron's leadership was validated, and God proved it through Earth's, or the earth opening up and swallowing people and fire coming out and burning people and a plague going out and killing people. Nonetheless, the point 
you know, you would think the point was proven, there was still a measure of dissent or dissatisfaction or um, unease about this whole thing. And thus, we have one final piece of the story, and that is today's reading, reading number five. So let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you, and we're going to go to reading number five. Okay, Torah reading for Korach, fifth reading, Numbers chapter 17, verse 16. Here we get to the fascinating final act of the story. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and take from them a staff for each father's house, from all the chieftains according to their father's houses. Again, a staff here means like a stick. Think of just a stick. A staff, in the Hebrew the word is mateh. Mateh, mateh means a staff, a staff, twice a staff, meaning a staff for each and every one of the father's houses. That means the tribal families, from all the chieftains according to their father's houses. A total of 12 staffs, and inscribe each man's name on his staff. So what we're doing here is, what God says to Moses, is you're going to take a stick from the representative of each of the 12 tribes. And each of these representatives is going to inscribe, is going to etch their name on the staff. Remember the giving tree? Remember how, um, remember the boy who loved the tree? At least in the beginning of the story, he writes on the tree, he carves me and T with a little heart. Anyway, so inscribe each man's name on his staff for the 12 tribes. Next, inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. Remember, as I've said many, many times, there were 12 tribes, including Levi, but since Levi is, is very often separated out, there's another 12, because you divide Joseph into Manasseh and Ephraim, and each one becomes their own tribe. Thus, you have 12 aside from Levi. So the 13th staff, the 13th stick is coming from Levi. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there is only one staff for the head of their father's house, so just one for Levi. You shall place the staffs in the tent of meeting before the ark of the testimony where I will commune, where I commune with you. Listen to this. The staffs go in the tent of meeting. Again, the tent of meeting is the covered Mishkan building and place it in front of the ark. The ark meaning, you know, the gold box with the golden cherubim on top inside are the tablets, right? That So put these staffs in front of the Ark of the Testimony where God says, I commune with you. God's speaking to Moses. That's where you and I have conversations. Now, the staff of the man whom I will choose will blossom. So you're going to put a dead stick. A dead, when I say dead, it's cut off from its source. It's no longer a tree. It's no longer growing. You take a Stick, you take a branch or whatever it is, you cut it. Now you have a stick. So the staff of the man whom I will choose will blossom, which is obviously a miracle because uh, sticks don't blossom. And I will calm down, turning away from myself, the complaints of the children of Israel, which they are complaining against you. So I. So what's going to happen is the one whom I choose, that staff will blossom and that will, and then everything will be calm. No more plagues, no more killings, no more, no more death and devastation. That will be the end. Well, that was God to Moses. Moses now speaks to the people and relays this message. 
Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And all their chieftains, that means the heads of the tribes, gave him a staff for each chieftain, according to their father's houses. A total of 12 staffs. And Aaron's staff was amidst their staffs. So they had 12, and then Aaron's was in the middle. It's kind of like, um, I hate to, hate to draw this parallel, kind of like a magician that says kind of like, look, I'm putting my card in the middle of the deck. It's kind of like Aaron's, Aaron's card, Aaron's staff was in the middle of all the others. It wasn't in any way, you know, in a, in, a, in a special position. It wasn't closer or further away from the ark. It was just amongst all of the other staffs. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony, in the Ola Edos, the tent of the testimony, again in the Mishkan. Now take a look at this, the dramatic aftermath. And on the following day, Moses came to the tent of testimony, and behold, Aaron's staff for the house of Levi had blossomed. Just like God had said that the one whom I choose will blossom, Aaron's staff blossomed. It gave forth blossom, blossoms, sprouted buds, and produced ripe almonds. All in one day. A dead stick not only blossoms, but buds, not only blossoms and buds, but actual ripe almonds. Not just almonds, not ripe, ripe almonds. Moses took out all the staffs from before the Lord to the children of Israel. They saw and they took each man his staff. In other words, it was clear and obvious Everyone took back their own staff. Their staffs were still sticks. Aaron's was obvious. It was obvious that there was a miracle and there was a clear indication that God had chosen Aaron. So I want to share this. In this week's Torah portion, we have three stories, literally three stories, in which God stands behind Moses and Aaron. Two of them are negative, one of them, positive. The first, the first indication that God is supporting Moses and Aaron is when the earth opens up and swallows Korach and the fire burns the 250 men, kills them. The second indication that God stands behind Moses and Aaron and will defend them is when the plague breaks out. When the plague breaks out and kills, ravages those who were calling Moses and Aaron murderers, the plague wipes out 14,700 people. That's the second indication that God is backing Moses and Aaron. And what's the third? The third is the story that we had today. The story of the staffs, the sticks, each tribal leader etching his name on his stick, and Aaron putting his stick in there. The next day, Aaron's staff has blossomed. Everyone else is just a stick, just a staff. Aaron's has blossomed, produced buds, and ripe almonds to boot. We're going to get into the Hasidic understanding of this in a moment, let's, which is really powerful, but let's first take a look at, at the Rashi's. I'm going to share my screen with you once again, and let's jump in. Okay, here we go. Um, inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of labor, for there's only one staff. Rashi, for there's only one staff, although I have divided them into two families. Aha, look at this. God says, although I've divided the Levite tribe into two families, the family of Kuhuna separate and the family of the Levites separate. Let me explain. There are Kohanim and there are Leviim. There are people who are a Kohen and people who are a Levi, even though they both come from the tribe of Levi. So God 
also split the tribe of Levi into two, Kohen and Levi. It is nevertheless one tribe. That's why there's only going to be one representative for both Kohanim and Levim. Hope that makes sense. Next, the staff of the men who I choose will blossom and I will come down. God says, I will come down. Um, uh, Rashi brings an etymological parallel. You know, I usually usually don't necessarily go through these, but this is, uh, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this one. Rashi says, That's the Hebrew. As in, and the water subsided. Sorry, As in, the water subsided. That is in, uh, that was a word that was used in reference to the flood waters of Noah. Noah's, uh, Noah's Ark and, and the flood. So the Torah tells us that after a certain amount of time, and the waters subsided. The waters subsided. In this context, or in our verse, God uses the same verse regarding himself. Which kind of means that I will subside, meaning... My angers will, will subside. My anger will subside. And in also from the book of Esther, the Hamas and the king's anger abated. Right? It's part of the Megillah. And the king's anger abated. When was that? That was after they, they hanged, hanged um, Haman. He got really upset when his wife, Esther, when she outed Haman at the party. Remember, like there was a, uh, it was Esther and her husband, the king, and then Haman was there. And she says, I have to ask for something special request. There's someone that's trying to exterminate uh, me and my family and my people. And the king says, who is it? And she says, Haman, this guy, this evil guy, Haman. And then the king storms out. He's angry. Then he comes back in and Haman had fallen onto her bed. Or whatever was her couch, or a little uh, whatever they were sitting on, like a, I don't know what the words are, but like a little little comfortable chair situation. He had fallen over there because he was pleading for her mercy to have his life spared, and he says, "You're also trying to, uh, um, to uh, to be with the queen in my house." So he got really upset, and they took him away, and then they they hanged him, they executed him, and then the Torah says, "Vachamas hamelach shachacha." That his anger, the king's anger, subsided. So again, these are just uh, some etymological, some grammatical uh, proofs that this word, Bahashikaisi, means subside in this context. Again, it means that God, God's anger is subsiding. Okay, so Moses spoke to the children of Israel, um, and he placed Aaron's staff amidst their staffs, right? Amidst their staff, Rashi. He placed it in the middle so that they should not say that it blossomed because he had placed it close to the divine presence. In other words, if it's at the edge, ah, you stack the deck in your favor. You put it there because that's where it's going to, that's where, you know, the Shekhinah is, the divine presence is. Moses put it in the middle, right? In the middle, just kind of amongst the other ones. Um, Rashi, what happened the next day, indeed, it gave forth blossoms. Rashi says this is to be understood in its literal sense. Don't think that this is a metaphor. Rashi says, Kimashmoi. Literally, literally, it, it produced, it gave forth blossoms. Buds, this is the budding of the fruit after the blossom falls off. You know, it's at times like these that I, that I, that I uh, kind of wish that I paid a little bit more attention to the life cycle of, uh, <laughs> of my peach tree. 
But anyway, I guess there's different different stages. We had the blossoms, the buds. Although I will tell you anecdotally, not to make this about the peach tree, but it's always about the peach tree, is that um, <laughs> so this year we actually we did have some. There was some indication of life. It's not like nothing happened. It flowered, and then the flowers fell off, and then it started. I don't know. Stuff was going on. It just didn't actually produce the peaches, which is fine. We're still okay with that. Nonetheless, we miss it. And, and the squirrels also were very upset. Next, they also produce ripe almonds. Not they. The staff of, of Aaron also produce ripe almonds. Vayigmol, vayigmol shkedim. When the fruit was recognizable, it was recognized that they were almonds. I guess in the early stage of budding and blossoming, or blossoming and budding, you can't tell what's going to grow. But when it started to develop, ah, oh, almonds. A similar expression is, is, found, is as found in, and the tri- child grew and was weaned. Vayigomel. This, was a, this is a verse from Genesis referring to um, Isaac. So Abraham, of course, had Isaac at a very old age. Abraham and Sarah were very old. It was a miracle, obviously. And, uh, and the Torah tells us that Abraham threw a party on the day that the child was weaned. The day that he was, that he was weaned. Um, okay, this expression is frequently found used in reference to fruits of the tree. As in, and the buds turn into ripening grapes. Gomel. That's from Isaiah. Now, why did it particularly? Why did it bear particularly almonds? Now, Rashi shifts to a conceptual question. Okay, Rashi asked the question: Why almonds? Look, you wanted to demonstrate uh, um, God's choice. God wants to demonstrate His choice of Aaron, so he, He's going to make Aaron's stick blossom and bud and the whole deal and turn it to something. Great, but why almonds? Of all things, why almonds? Why not? I don't know. Peaches. Why almonds? So Rashi explains, that is the fruit that blossoms quicker than other fruits. It's the quickest one. But that itself is is questionable. So what if it's the quickest? It's not like it happened naturally. It was a miracle anyway. So get something slow. No, that's not the meaning. Listen to this. Likewise, here's the message. He who opposes the kahuna, the priesthood, his punishment comes quickly. God is very quick, is very swift in meeting out punishment to those who challenge the, the institution of the kahuna of the priesthood. As we find the case of Uzziah and the tzarat shown upon his forehead. Apparently, without looking up the source, <laughs> apparently he somehow opposed the priesthood and thus, in an instant, he was afflicted with tzarat. The Targum, Unculus, which is uh, an Aramaic, an original, not original, but like an early um, Aramaic translation of, of the Torah, renders, uh, it, it translates it as knotted almonds. Knotted almonds, like a cluster of almonds knotted together, one on top of the other. Interesting. So it wasn't just some almonds, but they were actually knotted together. Okay, so that takes us to the end of Rashi, but I have a lot to share on this. So, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the concept that the Torah is relaying to us. And the truth is, we could, we could step back and, a, and ask a more, what I would say, a more, um, 
elementary question. If God had already demonstrated his choice of Moses and Aaron, with the earth opening up and fire breaking forth, if he already demonstrated his backing Moses and Aaron when the plague wiped out 14,700 of the people who complained about the first incident, why the need to have a third element of proof? Why that need? And why the need to happen in this specific case? And I alluded to one of the answers earlier when I said that the first two were negative, destructive. It's like, don't start up with them or else you're going to get, you're going to get hurt. Korach gets hurt. The 250 men get hurt. The 14,700 others get hurt. The question is, does that actually instruct anyone? Does that actually teach or educate? And the answer is it doesn't. You see, we talked about punishment last night at the Torah class a little bit. Punishment is not always an effective, um, it's not always an effective method of education. It makes the, it, it, it sends a message, but it doesn't necessarily educate to the point of transformation. Because if we, if we think about it, education is really about transformation, right? Knowledge is about knowing something and recognizing something and thus changing by virtue of that knowledge and that information. So in the act of discipline, it's not really educational as much as it is making a point, making a statement, and showing that you're tough. Is the person getting the message? Maybe. Will they do it again? Maybe not. Are they being educated? I don't know if education is the right word. Educated? I mean, they're hearing what you're saying. They're seeing the consequences. They get the message. Maybe they're afraid. But are they really educated? To put this in different words. If the people were really wondering, what sets Aaron apart from everyone else? Why is Aaron the high priest? What's the answer to that question? That if you ask that question, you get swallowed by the earth? That if you ask that question, you get burned by fire? That if you ask that question, you get killed by plague? What's the answer to the question? Why is Aaron the high priest? You know what the first two answers sound like? Because I said so. Because I said so. And because I said so, you can't ask, you can't question. And if you question, then you're going to be in trouble. That's not education. That's threats. That's very threatening. That's very dictatorship. That's not, that's not education. The third episode, the third story in this week's Torah portion. Again, story one is Korach, the original story where he gets swallowed. Second story is the, the, the complaint and the accusation which ends in plague. The third story is the story of the sticks, the staffs. That's this story that we read today. It says, this is educational. Because herein lies a message from God to the people as to why Aaron was chosen. What sets Aaron apart? Really, what sets any great leader apart? It's not really about setting them apart. It's not really what sets them apart. What defines a great leader from a Jewish perspective? What defines leadership? Faye, what did you say? Courage? Courage. Courage. I would say that that's a trait in general with leadership. But what defines Jewish leadership? What defines Aaron's leadership? So today we learned a powerful lesson. 
You know what makes Aaron Aaron? He can take a stick that seems dead and bring it back to life. That's Aaron. Aaron is someone who can take a dead stick, a dead piece of wood, and bring it back to life and make it grow and blossom. A great leader is someone who can inspire someone to become alive, to inspire someone not just to become alive for themselves, but to also then be so excited and so vibrant and so and so inspired that they will in turn share the inspiration with others. In other words, the stick is dead by all accounts. It's cut off from its source. It's dead. Everyone else takes a stick. It's dead. Carve my name in it. It's dead. Put it there. Come back tomorrow. It's still dead. Aaron looks at the stick and says, the stick still has life in it. The stick has potential. The stick has Deep inside, somehow, some way, it might seem impossible, the stick can blossom and flourish again. And with the inspiration, with the inspiration of an Aaron, of a high priest like Aaron, someone who loves the other unconditionally. We know about Aaron, right? Aaron, Ohev Shalom, Rodev Shalom. It says in Pirkei Avot, he loved peace, he pursued peace. Ohev he loved all creatures. When we carve on the Torah, and he brought them close to the Torah. That is the nature of Aaron. Aaron is somebody who loves everybody. But that good for nothing? Yes, that person too. God forbid we should ever say that to anybody. Right? Even the person that others would have said, ah, they're too gone. Or even if the person themselves would have said, me, it's too late for me. Aaron saw potential. Aaron saw that as long as a heart is beating, as long as there's a neshama inside, as long as there's a soul inside, this person can flourish. Not only can they flourish themselves, they can produce almonds, which then will give life and sustenance to someone else. This is the meaning of leadership. Courage, yes, 100%. You need courage. You need bravery. You need strength. You need all of those qualities. You know, We can look up a list of leadership qualities, all of that. But one thing that made really both Moses and Aaron, what made them shine, was the fact that no matter what, they saw the potential. They saw an immense potential, sometimes that the person themselves didn't see. Like the classic story that we've all heard a thousand times about how Aaron achieved the facilitation of peace between people. He would meet one party, two people were in a fight. He met the first one and he said to him, I understand that you're in a conflict with so-and-so. Listen, the other guy told me that he wants to really make peace with you, but he's embarrassed. If he apologized, you know, would you, um, would you accept it? Yes. Okay, he goes over to the other guy. The other guy told me that he wants to apologize. Would you accept it? Yes. Good. Now everybody knows they're safe. So the next time they, they met themselves, right? the next time those two bumped into each other, they hugged it out. Which, again, seems like a very cute story, but think about it in this context of the stick. The person didn't realize themselves that they were ready to reconcile with the other person. They themselves, if you would ask them, are you ready to make peace? They would have told you no. They would have said no. You know why? Because I'm not going to go first. But once they heard that the other guy is ready to go first, sure. So what's the answer? Were they ready for peace? Yeah. Did they know it? No. 
That's the crazy thing. Aaron knew something about them that they didn't even know about themselves. They would have self-defined as a dead stick, no potential, there's no, there's no possibility to make peace. It's over. That ship has sailed, not happening. We're never going to get back together again. We're never going to become friends again. Aaron says, hold my beer, right? I got this. I got this because I could see that there's life inside. I could see. I know this. It's going bl- to bud. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blossom. It's going to bud or whatever the order is. Just double check because now I'm thinking about it. It's going to... Yeah, blossom, bud, and produce ripe almonds. I see it, says Aaron. This is how God really communicates to the people. Why Moses and Aaron, in this case, really Aaron, why he is the high priest. So you can make a point with, 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 a, you know, with, a, strong, with a strong fist. You can say, when, when asked about something, this is the way it is because I said so. But why? How dare you ask why? Out of here. Say that. You're not actually answering the question. This, today's reading, answers the question. Korach asked at the beginning of the Torah portion, why are Moses and Aaron given these positions of leadership? Why? You know the answer? Because they can bring things out of people that the average person can't. Because that's what a true Jewish leader is. A true leader is somebody who can see the neshama inside and bring out the best. Bring out the most exquisite results from that person. It's not about results, but it's, it's like the, the neshama out of the person. When the person themselves would have thought, it's too late, it's done, Moses and Aaron can bring it out. They can turn a dead stick to life. It reminds me of, I think it was Yechaskel. Was it Ezekiel? The prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones, where God takes him to a valley and in the valley, there's a bunch of corpses. If I'm not mistaken, wow, this is a very cool tie-in. If I'm not mistaken, um, one legend, one at least one uh, legend, but one um, narrative has it that the Valley of Dry Bones was the remains of the Ma'apilim. Ma'apilim were the ones who after last week's Torah portion, after the Jews were told that they're not going to go into Israel, there was a group that said, we're going to go anyway. They went the next morning, okay, we're going to go now. Sorry, God, we're back on board, we're back on track, we're going to go in. And Moses says, don't do it. And they said, we're going to do it anyway. And they got, they got killed, they got slaughtered. So by, the, by Amalek or whatever it was. Um, so I believe that's where this story of the, of the Valley of Dry, that's... Those were the people in the Valley of Dry Bones. God says to Ezekiel, speaking about the prophecy of the future, right? Messianic era and prophecies and people coming back. He says, go to the valley and prophecy. And what happened was that the flesh, a bunch of, a bunch of skeletons and the flesh, the skin came back on the skeletons. They came to life. They came back to life. And the point was that God, God is essentially saying that nothing is impossible. Certainly for God, nothing is impossible, but nothing is impossible. It takes, this is God's message to Ezekiel, a message to us. When you see a skeleton, 
I don't mean this literally, but when you see something that doesn't, doesn't, someone that doesn't look alive anymore, do you write them off? Or do you believe that there's still potential? That's, that's the approach of a, of a leader, of a true leader. That's the approach of a Rebbe. You know, today is Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, the first day of Tammuz. In just a few days, it's going to be the 28th yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And one thing that we know in all of the stories and all of the teachings of the Rebbe, the Rebbe always believed in people, even more than people believed in themselves. The Rebbe believed in people like, like no one I've ever met, like no one I've ever seen in action. When a person believed about themselves that, that they didn't have the, the, the potential, the Rebbe believed it. Um, I have to find a story that I want to share with you. One second. Let me see if I can find it. It's a story. Here you go. Um, Okay. You're going to love this story. In 1974, Rabbi Moshe Yitzchak Hecht the Rebbe's emissary to New Haven, Connecticut, sent a letter to the Rebbe in which he described the difficult challenges he was facing. And he asked the Rebbe to do something to help him, implying that he, himself, Rabbi Hecht, felt that he was unable to carry out the mission successfully. Basically, he asked the Rebbe for some backup. He said, I need some help. I can't do this. The Rebbe wrote back to him the following, and this is a quote. He probably wrote it in Yiddish or Hebrew, but it's translation. I preempted you and responded even before you made your request. I already did precisely as you, as you advised. Rabbi Moshe Yitzchak Hecht was sent to your city. It appears from your letter and from your previous one that you are unfamiliar with Rabbi Hecht or the abilities and powers he has been granted. You know what? Why am I reading this to you without you being, without you being able to see? Hold on. This is, I, I don't know what else to say about this letter. This is, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Here, here's the story. Here's what the Rebbe, I'm going to read it again. Okay, it's right here in the little indent. The Rebbe writes again, Rabbi Moshe Yitzhak Hechtes wrote a letter saying, Rebbe, I can't do it. The job is too difficult. Whatever it was, the, what, I don't know. He's like, I need, I, need, I need some help. The Rebbe says, I preempted you and responded even before you made your request. I already did precisely as you advised. Rabbi Moshe Yitzchak Hecht was sent to your city. That's him. It appears from your letter and from your previous ones that you are unfamiliar with Rabbi Hecht. Look at this. The Rebbe is saying, you don't know Rabbi Hecht. He's writing to Rabbi Hecht. Or the abilities and powers he has been granted. In any event, endeavor now to acquaint yourself with him. You can't make this up. Get to know him. And immediately everything will change. Your disposition, your trust in God, your everyday joy, etc. It's unbelievable. This is from another, I don't know, I just Googled to find the story. This is from Chabad of Greenwich. They're connecting it with last week's Torah portion. It's an, art, it's an essay from 2015. So it's connected to Shlach here. To me, it connects with Korach and, and the sticks. Aaron is somebody who can make a stick blossom. You know why? Because he believes in the stick. Because he doesn't see a dead stick. He sees a stick that looks dead, but inside has potential for life. 
Rabbi Hecht said about himself, I can't do it. And the Rebbe said, well, then you need to get to know Rabbi Hecht because Rabbi Hecht can't do it. That's a leader. That's a leader. A leader is someone who can see inside, who believes in the other. A leader, a real leader, is somebody who can bring out the best in you. A best that you don't even know you're capable of. That's a leader. I mean, Lahavdil, you have this in sports, right? A great coach, a great manager, somebody who can bring out the best of a player. Abilities that they didn't even know they had. That's a great leader. Are there other qualities of leadership? Sure. But when we're speaking spiritually, when we're thinking about a Jewish leader, when we're speaking about somebody who is like on the caliber of Aaron, Aaron Kohen, someone who was the high priest, it would be easy to say that he would look at everybody and say, ah, you're not a high priest. Pfft, look at you. I'm the high priest. Who are you? It's not a leader. It's someone who's arrogant in a position of leadership. It's not a leader. A leader is somebody who looks at the other one and says, you are great. You are great. Not look at me, I'm great. It's not a leader. Someone who says, look at me, look how great I am. It's not a leader. That's an arrogant person with a platform. That's all that is. It's not a leader. A leader is someone who says, look how great you are. Look at your potential. I believe in you. This was Aaron. This is the message of the story of the sticks blossoming. This is the message of Gimel Tammuz, the third day of Tammuz coming up on Shabbos, the Rebbe's yard site. This was the Rebbe. Again, and I just, you know, one story came to mind, Googled it and we found it. Rabbi Moshe Yitzchak, I, just, I, I don't even know what to say about this story. I, the, the language, the way the Rebbe writes it is so, it's, it's funny, it's deep, it's emotional, I don't, it's everything at the same time. Apparently, you don't know Rabbi Hecht and what he's capable of. It's time to get to know him. That's what a leader is. A leader is somebody who, who gets it, who gets you. A leader is somebody who can see inside you, see your potential, and believe in you that you can bring it out. May we all be leaders for ourselves, i.e. get to know ourselves and our potential, and may we extend this vision to others. Let's not look down at others, God forbid. Let's not look and judge others negatively. Let's not write off, you know, you know, just like, nah, that person, too late, no hope, no hope for that guy. That's not, it's not a kosher thing to say. Let's believe in others. Let's believe in our, uh, in our friends, in our family, in our, in, in our loved ones, in our community members, and and our fellow human beings, let's believe and, and do our best to help try to cultivate that or to inspire them to cultivate that within themselves. All right, that's what I got for today. Any questions or comments or insights? Oh, thank you for being a leader. Oh, wow. Definitely. Thank you. Cool. Of I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's... When I hear the definition, <laughs> it's definitely you. Well, thank, thank you. you. That's, that's very touching. Thank you. Um, thank you.
Uh, Sara, did you want to say something? I'll join in with Sandrine and say thank you, Rabbi Ari. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Um, okay, so that's it for me for today. Faye, Ray, Sandrine, and Sarah. Uh, we'll wrap up. Um, a quick announcement. Tomorrow is Friday. And so, and we're meeting for DBP as usual, 12 o'clock. Um, join me as we close out the Torah portion. We'll do reading six and seven. And uh, let me do, let me take a very quick look at six and seven and see um, how long each one is. Six. Mm, yeah, six is pretty long. Seven is kind of average. We may, yeah, I was thinking about maybe the Haftorah. We're probably not going to be able to do the Haftorah tomorrow. So it'll just be, uh, it'll just be the Torah portion. We'll end it tomorrow. Shabbos, for those of you in Atlanta, in town, we'd love for you to join. We're having a Friday night in honor of the Rebbe's Yard site, Gimel Tamos. So Friday night, we're having a Friday night uh, community dinner together with Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, who is amazing. He's awesome. Uh, many of you have studied with his wife, Mrs. Nomi Freeman. Um, they are quite the dynamic duo. <laughs> Rabbi Freeman is maybe the editor-in-chief or chief content editor and writer for Chabad.org. So if you've enjoyed the website Chabad.org, lots of people have written lots of things on Chabad.org. But he does a lot of the overall stuff and a lot of the writing. He also has written books, um, several books, including Bringing Heaven Down to Earth, 365 Meditations of the Rebbe. So join us Friday night and Shabbos as well. So Friday night dinner, Shabbos day, davening, and then Kiddush and Ferengen as we celebrate and mark, really, not celebrate, but really mark the day of Gimel Tammuz in tribute to the Rebbe's leadership. All right, that is that. Oh, and then also Sunday, just a quick announcement. Sunday, I will be going into, please God, going into New York. And I will be coming back Monday uh, 10. I'm leaving 10, coming back 1. Okay, so Monday, likely no DPP, unless I can do it from the plane, which is probably not going to happen. So likely no DPP on Monday. So just a heads up about the schedule. All right, we'll see you all. I don't know why I'm giving you the full schedule now on a Thursday, but nonetheless, I'm doing it. Okay, great to see you all. And don't forget, the main thing is to believe in yourself and to never write yourself out, to never put yourself down, to never not believe that you have the ability to literally change the world. And I'm going to end with this. I know we ended like three or four times already today, but I got to share this last this last point that again, we've all heard, but it, I think the context is important here. The, Maimonides writes that before every time we were faced with a moral choice, you know, right or wrong, we should think to ourselves, we should imagine, picture, the world hanging in balance, perfectly 50-50 between good and the opposite. And this one good choice, this one mitzvah, could tip the scales for good and bring Mashiach. A person might say, Me? I'm going to bring Mashiach? Come on. Like a tzaddik can bring Mashiach. Somebody holy will bring Mashiach. Like if, they're going to, if anyone's going to bring Mashiach, it's going to be you know, some holy dude somewhere. Right? That's what's going to happen. My money says, no, you. You have the power to bring Mashiach. One small deed that you can do, that you will do, that you are doing now, can bring Mashiach.
you got to believe in yourself. Believe in your ability to change the world for good. And make it happen. All right, we'll see you all tomorrow. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Pleasure. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.